1: I would love to have you join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advance read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks to those that already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. There is a link in my show notes if you are interested. Today I am chatting with Nora Zelovansky about competitive grieving. Nora is the author of novels Competitive Grieving, Will You, Won't You Want Me?, and Semi-Charmed Life and co-author of Roll, Red, Roll, Rape, Power, and Football in the American Heartland. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Elle, Town and Country, the Los Angeles Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Vanity Fair, among others. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband, two kids, and her enormous cat, Waldo. I hope you enjoy our conversation.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Welcome, Nora. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am good as well, and I'm so glad you're here to talk about competitive grieving. I am too. I can't wait. Well, why don't we start out with you giving a quick synopsis of the book for those that won't have read it yet.
0: Okay. um, Competitive Grieving is a dark comedy and unlikely love story about loss and the chaotic aftermath of grief. It follows the main character, Ren, after losing one of her best friends as she kind of tries to navigate his life in his absence with some difficulty. And that's basically the book.
1: How did you come up with the subject matter and decide to write about it?
0: So, in 2017, I lost one of my best friends from childhood. And in the aftermath, there was questionable behavior. <laughs> and I, I really hadn't experienced that. You know, I, I had heard people talk previously, of course, about. You know, uh, disputes between family members over wills and that kind of thing. But I really wasn't aware of the kind of, well, what I came to see as sort of competitive grieving that goes on in, you know, after, after losing somebody. And in this case, I was surprised, um, by the sense of sort of clawing to be seen. It felt to me like everybody just wanted to be recognized for what their relationship had been with this person who was now gone, but there was nobody to validate that because he was gone. And so instead of sort of supporting each other, there was a sense of sort of a tug of war, not just over stuff, but also over memory, um, sort of ownership over who he was. Um, And that experience inspired me to want to write a book about it. The story of competitive grieving is not my friend's story, but it the sort of universal experience of what happens in the aftermath of loss was inspired by my actual experience.
1: It seems often that when there is a death like that, family or friend, that there are people jockeying for position. They want to be front and center. They were whoever it was, best friend or confidant or whatever it is. And I think you're right. They want to be seen, but they also want to be seen as someone that was very close to the deceased.
0: Yes. I think that that's a big piece of it. It's like everybody wants their closeness to be quantified in some way. And, you know, I I experienced it personally, you know, just for myself as well. Um, The person that I lost was a very charismatic person who had lived sort of various different lives during his time. And I felt like he and I were like really kindred very very close and it was surprising to me how many people felt that way. And it took me a long time to get to a place of of more sort of empathy for everybody involved, but at some point someone said to me everybody just wants to feel seen. And and that really resonated with me because I think that that's true. And and what drives a lot of the competitive grieving, but it still just seemed like like so much fodder for a book because it was like absurd and sad and funny and horrible all at once. And again, such a universal experience. I mean, one of the things that's happened since this book came out is that people have reached out to me to share their own stories of competitive grieving. And when that started happening, I realized, oh, this is like a really widespread phenomenon that doesn't get talked about very much.
1: I think it is pretty universal and you referenced how you knew your friend and felt you knew his personality and were very close, but I also think some of that has to do with when you knew them. You know, you have friends from elementary, you have friends from high school, you have friends from college, you have friends from when you're out of college. And so I think, you know, people mature, they change, different things impact them. And so it can really, I don't know what the right word is. You can really look back and think, okay, I knew him when I've continued to be friends, but our relationship began at such and such time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think that sometimes, at some point in the process, I thought you're really mourning the person at the point at which they were most important to you, that that's really what the person everyone's mourning. And and I found myself gravitating towards friends who were remembering the same stage of his life as I was because it was the same version of him. And that's something that Ren, the main character in competitive grieving, struggles with a lot because her version of Stuart, her best friend who she lost, um, is so different than the version that other people see, especially because he's you know, a notable TV star. Um, and so there's also this like public perception of him as well. And so trying to you know, marry all of these different versions of who he is is like one of the challenges of grieving him.
1: Absolutely. And that really resonated with me. And it made me kind of think back on when different people have passed away and the way people behaved and, you know, who I've known and when I knew them. And I think that's, it's really interesting. It's definitely thought provoking. Was it hard to write?
0: You know what? Like I only, I have only confessed this maybe once before. (laughs) If I'm honest, I don't have a strong memory of writing this book. I think because a lot happened in my life that year. Like I lost my friend and I was pregnant and then had a baby and I lost a family member as well. And it was 2017. So it was, there was a lot of political upheaval. I definitely wrote it in fits and spurts more than I generally do when I'm writing a book. I think that this book, I would not characterize writing this book as difficult. I would say that it was, I think, cathartic for me. Um, you know, I felt like really lucky that I had a like a concrete place to work through the issues plaguing me in my actual life. And I think the beauty of writing a novel is that you get to, you know, choose the setting, choose the characters, choose all, you know, put yourself in a world that you don't mind existing in. And so in in doing that, it was almost like a little bit of wish fulfillment, like a chance to live out the grieving process differently than I actually got to in
1: real life. Took you out of your world and put you into another world. Exactly. Yes. And I can see where it would definitely be cathartic. I I think we all
0: sort of default to different emotions when things are difficult. You know, some people default to anxiety, some people default to sadness, some people, and I think I maybe default to anger a little bit. (laughs) So it really did feel like a place to vent my frustration. And then, of course, in the rewriting process to have some perspective and sort of back up and say, okay, like what is, the, what is the arc for this character and what is the arc for the other characters and, you know, how much of what Ren is experiencing is real and how much is just her perception of what she's seeing. And so the chance to sort of dissect it that way was really interesting too.
1: That makes perfect sense. And I was really curious about the format in terms of the way you wrote it. Shorter chapters often, sometimes a letter, sometimes in text messages, sometimes all mixed in. Was that the way you started it or did you mix up the format a little bit as you wrote?
0: Yeah. I mean, that actually was how I started it. Um, I think I'm always a little bit interested in the idea of like mixed media, of pulling from different sources and almost like collaging language. So- from the beginning it was these sort of alternating chapters where you were in Ren's life experiencing what was happening in present day and then you were in more of like her emotional world as she talked to Stuart directly and worked through whatever it was she was trying to experience um or trying to figure out and actually like most of it is not but I did actually take some small pieces of language that existed from like a letter my friend wrote me, the eulogy I wrote for my friend, that again, like it wasn't his story, but made it into the book as sort of a way of honoring him and and making it his in a way a little bit. And I, I just always really like the idea of taking pieces of things. Again, like there's sort of allusions to songs in the book. As you said, there's texting. So so, yeah, I mean, I think also the contemporary world we live in is frenetic and, and, we're communi- and we communicate in so many different ways. I guess this book was a chance to sort of communicate that also.
1: I definitely think that's happening more and more in fiction because you're right. I mean, we are all communicating so many different ways compared to how we used to. And I have this monthly series called Behind the Scenes where I interview somebody from the publishing world. And one of the interviews, maybe three or four months ago, was an interior book designer, which was fascinating and has probably been my most popular episode in that series. Hmm. And she talked all about formatting emails and messaging and newspaper articles and letters. And so it made me wonder, as I was reading your book, did you have a say in the way some of those things were formatted or did they present it to you and you were like, oh, this looks good?
0: Yeah. And um, actually, and, and that's the thing also, right? If you're trying to write something that's truly contemporary, that takes place in our actual time, you can't, you almost can't write a story without some of those elements right. because it's just with the way we function in our daily life. As far as I remember, they present, that's really interesting, by the way. Um, the interior designer, I'd be really interested in listening to that one. But, um, as far as I recall, they just presented it to me and I was happy with how it looked, but, I have a nonfiction book that I co-wrote that came out recently and that includes text, actual text messages as well. And there was a lot of conversation in that context about how to present them. You know, whether you use a different font, whether you put them inside bubbles, you know, whether the bubbles are shaded, you know, how do you handle it when you have a text, but you still want to say she wrote, um, you know, like tag it. Um, how does that look? So those kinds of issues. And it's interesting to try to resolve.
1: Absolutely. It was the most fascinating conversation because it wasn't something that one, I even knew as a job until I was connected up with her. And then two, knew everything that went into it because it's not just the format of Instagram and Facebook and texts and emails and letters and whatever else, you know, all the different telegrams, all the different things that could show up, but also how each chapter is presented Mm -hmm. and the font and how much space there is between each line. I mean, it was just truly fascinating. And I learned so much and now I really pay so much closer attention when I'm reading books.
0: Yeah, I think people often don't, outside of like the direct sort of publishing universe, especially really don't know how how all of that works and how much goes into sort of decide, making all of those decisions about the cover as well. And even about a title, which often gets changed, you know, those, all of that, that process is, is arduous and I like it. Like I, I enjoy that back and forth, but it's, it's definitely a process.
1: Well, the title was on my list of questions for you because I love it. How did that come about? Thank
0: you. Every other novel I've written was written with a different title than it was published with. And basically, for whatever reason, sometimes it's about – it's often about marketing. Yes. They – you know, my Semi-Charmed Life, which was my first book, was originally called The Pfeffernous Chronicles. (laughs) and marketing was like no one is going to be able to spell news, you know
1: they're never going to find it cuz they're going to be like it's something i can't but remember some
0: weird kind of yeah so that's always a process figuring out the title in this case it was the total opposite i was in the middle of ranting to a friend of mine about what was going on in our actual lives with regard to losing our friend and i said to him it's like they're competitive grieving and then I said, I'm going to write a book called Competitive Grieving. <laughs> and then I did. And from so from the very beginning, the title really like instructed the creation of the book and led that sort of process, which is, I, again, like unusual. But it just felt like it so clearly encompassed everything I wanted to project, both literally about what the content of the book was about, but also just tonally sort of the sense of like the sort of sardonic quality it has, and sort of the sense of humor in it. So yeah, uh, I thank you. I'm glad you like it. I, I felt really strongly about the title, and actually no one no one ever asked me to change it.
1: What I have found is that titles either stay the same, whatever you, the author comes up with at the beginning makes it all the way through, or there are like 2,000 different conversations about the title, and you have to go through 100 different ones to to land on something, that it's not Uh, two or three times, let's try this. It's either, yes, it's stuck from the beginning or we're gonna have to spend forever to land on a title.
0: That that has been my experience as well. (laughs) Yeah, and when you aren't landing on one, it's really hard. I mean, I used to feel that way as a freelance journalist as well, just for stories, that sometimes the story's title would just come to me right at the beginning and then I knew I was like in good shape. But if it didn't, that I was going to like struggle to come up with it.
1: It's just funny how that works. The title for yours caught my eye because Sherry Poozie and Kelly Hooker did a wonderful Patreon episode where they talked about five or six books that they both recommended. And that's when I first heard about your book was from Sherry because it came out in hardback May 2021. And so then I thought, well, that sounds really good. And my mom actually passed away in September of 2021. So then I was not up for anything related to grieving for a while. And then you and I connected and your paperback was supposed to come out in May of 2022, but came out in August instead with COVID and supply chain issues and all of that. So it was the right time for me to be able to pick it up then because it had been long enough that I was able to to focus on that topic again.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I'm so sorry about your mom. Thank you. I think, yeah, I'm. that's interesting. I, I almost want to ask you questions because I... And some people have asked me, you know, how soon after losing someone myself, is this a good book to read? Um, Because I do think it would be a lot when things were still fresh.
1: Yes, it definitely took me a while to be able to read about anything related to death and, you know, someone passing away. I just had to kind of pass on those stories for a while. So I would say, I don't know, nine months, 10 months, you know, I guess it's really an emotional thing. And it was interesting when you mentioned anger before, because that's really what I felt initially to my adorably sweet, wonderful mother. (laughs) Anger is not a great emotion, but it was such a surprise. My dad has been ill forever. Everybody thought he would pass before she did. And we had all these plans because she'd been caring for him for so long that, you know, eventually she could take a fun trip with, you know, do some stuff that was kind of past the caregiver stuff. And so then she had a stroke and suddenly died. And every single person I called was like, your dad? And I was like, no, my mom and i had to go yeah. through the whole story again it was brutal and so i just was like okay i cannot read about it or talk about it or anything else once we kind of got through the service for a while but i would say it depends i mean i'm not angry anymore but i was for a while
0: yeah and i think i mean that does sound brutal i i think that the the commiseration you know the sort of notion of misery loves company is it's a real thing you know not that you want other people to be unhappy but that the reason why Especially, well, memoirs too, but, um, fiction about grief can be cathartic for the reader in certain ways is because it spotlights the experiences you've had and validates them. You know, brings to light things that, that you had happened to you that aren't, again, aren't talked about that much.
1: Right. Or things like, you know, feeling anger, and I would feel so bad. I mean, I would talk to a couple of my very close friends about it. But other than that, I would never mention it. But I was like, I feel terrible that I'm angry at my poor mom, who was like the greatest mother ever, truly. I mean, people say that about everybody when they've died. But truly, I had the best mother. She was Mm. wonderful. The other thing that happens when someone passes away, and you've alluded to that a little bit, you head back out into the world with this horrible cloud on you and this Mm. terrible thing that's happened. But everybody else is just living their lives. And it's a little frustrating sometimes, you know, and you get it. But on the other hand, I'm like, how is the world going on? This horrible thing has happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's why there's this notion that like the grieving gets so much more difficult after, actually after sort of the fanfare, after the funeral and, and all of that stuff, when you're left to your own devices and the world expects you to have moved on, even though this like horrible thing has just happened and there's this horrible hole gaping hole in your world and I, I think that that's something I feel like it's gotten talked about more in the last few years which is really great but it's something that I think doesn't get acknowledged enough just this idea that like grief is a really it's a long process you know it, it's not something that you know ends because the ritual is over you know and so whatever like you can find to help you move through it, then is is incredibly important and it's different for everybody i think
1: and the timetable is different like you were mentioning people expect you to be able to move on but for me it's been very much two steps forward one step back sometimes one step forward two steps back it just really mm-hmm. depends and you know i still go to pick up the phone and call her almost daily yeah
0: yeah and that's like the huge heartbreaker that sense of i remember actually and and it sort of happens in the beginning of the book as well that when I found out that my friend died, my first instinct was to call him and like, let him know.
1: Right. You're like, you've died. So, I mean, those
0: even those impulses are the kinds of things that don't get talked about that much. And it's just good to feel like you're not alone in having those experiences. And so, yeah, I mean, I I mentioned that some people have reached out with their own stories, but it's been a different kind of gift with this book than my other books to have people reach out and be willing to share what's going on in their lives and these losses they've experienced and and to trust me with that. And that's been like a totally unexpected, amazing, you know, blessing of this book.
1: I love that because I do think you're right that people, they want to be able to tell somebody. And sometimes it's nice to tell somebody that's not involved, that wasn't friends or related to the person who's passed away. And I'm sure reading your book brings a lot of those feelings to the forefront for people. I mean, it certainly did for me.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I think that that's true, that, that talking, yeah, to, sort of, to try to process it outside the realm of the people who are also immediately affected and who have their own feelings about it is so important.
1: And those that are trying to competitively grieve, you don't want to be involved in that kind of conversation with them.
0: No. I mean, it's such an ugly thing in certain ways, um, even though maybe it just comes from a really natural human impulse but the the thing of wanting to take ownership over someone's story to not like leave space for everybody to have their own memories it's it's a really difficult thing to try to navigate and also because as you said like you know somebody from a certain period of in their life most likely when they were most important to you there's a you know infinite versions of people and that's really also hard to accept
1: you know it is a little bit. And sometimes it's surprising because you're like, well, gosh, I would have never thought they would have done such and such or been interested in such and such. So yes, it can kind of throw you off guard as well.
0: Yeah. And and in the book, there's a way in which um, Ren feels like other people's grieving is literally getting in the way of hers, where when she sees people sort of emoting without any reservation that it it makes her clam up in a certain way. Um, so just having, like, the space to have that experience, too, is so important.
1: So that makes me think then, too, depending on the person, it might be more helpful to read the book closer in time. I guess it just really depends on the person and where their journey is going.
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably true. But it's good to know at which point it was helpful for you. So now I have sort of an answer. <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked.
0: So well, I I I'm right now. I'm reading two books that I really like, and I I have a rule like I never read two books at the same time. I don't know how this happened, but it did, and it's happening. So I'm currently reading Candy House, Jennifer Egan's new book, and then I'm also reading Heartbreaker, which I have a dear friend Sarah McLean, who's um, a romance novelist, and this is her new book. I'm really like will read almost any genre of book. I have a uh, sort of a wide range of tastes and interests in reading. So the the books I like really run the gamut. But um, what else have I, oh, well, I did some good summer reading, like sort of fun stuff. And I read Book Lovers, Emily Henry's new book. And I read The Last Thing He Told Me, which is that Laura Dave thriller that came out, I think last year. I would totally recommend both of those, especially if somebody wants something escapist and kind of like fun and light and fast.
1: Which is so nice for right now.
0: Yeah, I mean I personally, I mean, one of the sorry not to go off on a tangent, but one of the things about competitive grieving that I was sort of proud of in the creation of it is that it's both it's it tackles some really serious issues but it's it's supposed to be at least funny.
1: <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> Good. I'm glad. And it has a romance, so there's sort of like an escapist lightness to it and and hopefully sort of a light at the end of the tunnel sense. I just really love books that address real authentic issues in our universe since there's a lot of really serious things going on in the world right now, but that also give us a sense or a chance for escape because I
1: think we all need that right now. And not when you're done with a book thinking, oh my gosh, that was so heavy and I just can't even get out from under the cloud, but instead there has been some humor, but you're tackling serious issues that we're all probably grappling with. Exactly. There's been
0: humor and like a chance to laugh, a a cathartic chance to cry, and
1: satisfaction at the end. I agree completely. That's my favorite type of read. Yeah, me too. Well, Nora, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you and reading Competitive Grieving.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was really
1: great. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books, and recently came across Book Clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on Book Clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The Book Clubs website is linked in my show notes, and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and that link is also in the show notes. I hope you will check out some other thoughts from a page episodes and have a great day.